Hey, common scientists, this week we are coming to you with the topic of aging. Now again, we always prefaced keyword common, common scientists, we're not experts in any of these topics. The goal is to come to the table with the conversation, ask questions, and see if we can learn something from each other. So this week with aging, I want to start off with a bit of a story and quote from a book that I recently finished reading. It is called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, Medicine and What Matters in the End. And in his book, he addresses a lot of different pieces of aging, but in this specific part of the book, he is talking to or he spoke with a man named Felix Silverstone, who for 24 years was a senior geriatrician in New York who had published more than 100 studies on aging, so kind of an aging expert, if you will. And this expert said, there is, he told Atul Gwandi, no single common cellular mechanism to the aging process. We just fall apart. And Atul Gwandi goes on to say, this is not at the least an appealing prospect. People naturally preferred to avoid the subject of their decrepitude, right? We don't want to talk about aging. There have been dozens of best-selling books on aging, but they tend to have titles such as Younger Next Year or The Fountain of Age, Agelessness, or his favorite, The Sexy Years. Still, there are no, or there are costs to averting our eyes from the realities. So hopefully that can just set us up for a bit of this conversation about the common signs of aging, maybe some of the problems associated, can we stay young forever, and aging in general. So with that, I want to kick it to Aiden. What were some some of your initial thoughts about aging? I mean, put put simply that, or that, that quote where he says, aging put simply... Uh, we fall apart as far as the process of it uh, that echoes a good chunk of my my research and some of my first thoughts about aging Uh, I mean there's so many different aspects of aging one thing that uh, is is near and dear to my heart is my mind and so that's where a lot of my research focused uh, is around knowledge and and creativity and how that changes over time uh yeah on a personal note i had a a grandmother who had dementia and i'm sure by now many other people at least in the united states have had either a personal grandparent or have a a friend who has had that and the idea of, of losing say memories is terrifying to me uh and uh, let alone some other capabilities. So one one thing that stuck out to me is, is some of the differences uh, when you're young versus when you're old, and, and we can dig more into those maybe later on in the cast, but I'd, I'd love to hear Dre what, what his, where his focus was in the aging, yeah, in the realm of aging. <clears throat> the quote that you read, um, specific, not well, obviously the big one quote, but the um, one about like we just fall apart or whatnot, that's a fascinating one to me, and I think, I think that does have the potential to, um, to kind of discourage me when it comes to aging, since I am approaching the geriatric age of thirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as Lauren so poignantly pointed out to me moments before the podcast. <laughs> However, I, 
I am a big proponent of CRISPR and cracking the gene code, um, the genome, and I think science is approaching some really sci-fi levels in the next hundred years. So I am definitely maybe, I'm sure in my lifetime, like I'll be, if I lived like, if I'm blessed to live to like 80, I'm sure that will be a much younger 80 than it was yesteryear. So I'm definitely looking forward to that, but also like a kind of quote, and I don't know if it's like a meme or whatever it is, but I've seen it like tossed around before throughout like the last 10 years. Um, this idea that what if oxygen is poisonous, it just takes eight years to kill you or something like that. That was always a fascinating idea to me. I'm like, huh, that's really interesting. And obviously like oxygen does, does oxidize like metals and rust and you know, all those other things. So it's kind of fascinating. Like what is, and going back to that quote, what is killing us? Why do our cells um, start mutating and um, reproducing like incorrect information and just kind of breaking down? All great questions, which I don't, I don't know how much science understands. Fascinatingly, though, when you brought up oxygen, the the passage that I was pulling from is a bit longer than I wanted to read the whole, the whole piece of it. But ironically, the two sentences that I skipped were a little more contextual. And those two sentences are, our bodies accumulate lipofuscin and oxygen-free radical damage and random DNA mutations and numerous other microcellular problems. The process is gradual and unrelenting. So fascinatingly, then you ended up touching on what if oxygen is killing us and turns out it is killing us. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> that, that was pretty funny, but um, yeah, I think there are so many different pieces to it, right? There's, I mean, science and society, but right now what sticks out in my mind is the uh, conversation that took place at the doctor's office when my late grandma Lila, my paternal grandma, passed away, and she was diagnosed with um, an advanced stage skin cancer, and the, uh, the, the, the cancer doctor had told us, the oncologist had told us that uh, his job was to keep a patient alive long enough that he could toss them to the cardiologist. And the cardiologist told us that their job was to keep a patient alive long enough that they could toss them back to the oncologist. So it was an, a fascinating and sad process to see and hear what medicine was telling us at the end of my grandma's life. And that's what kind of comes to mind when I think of aging more broadly is the idea of death and dying with dignity. But you're right, Dre, that we're also at the dawn of a new technological age where more than ever there are possibilities to stay young forever, which seems quite quite like science fiction currently. I don't know, even if you have thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Uh... I think it, it definitely seems like science fiction and as Jay alluded to it, a lot of it is is coming up um, but obviously there still are very real problems with aging today that individuals face uh, and as well as society at large but thinking more about the individual is one thing that I I came across that is a bummer to me as as someone who is uh like working in the in with computers and and pretty at 
like work my work is quite abstractly focused uh in terms of working with computers and and programming languages and mathematics and uh i think at 18 is when we're supposedly we supposedly peak in terms of our abstract capabilities um to think and in other words they call that our fluid our fluid intelligence or our fluid <clears throat> knowledge um whereas uh there the one consoling factor in in that research though was that um sorry to to back up a little bit so it's fluid intelligence peaks early and then starts to decline over time and and that's your ability to manipulate in the abstract so math is a great concept of doing something abstractly but it can be any sort of of uh task that requires these um these abstracts manipulations whereas crystallized intelligence uh does seem to go up over time and so that was one consoling factor in crystallized intelligence is is knowledge of facts or or whatever else uh like relationships between people things of that nature and so that that's one cool thing uh, about aging is that is that will uh be able to uh yeah you you be just become through experience more more knowledgeable in that regard but oh and a great example of that is social capital so it's a sociological phenomena that we are aware of that older people tend to have more of which literally is knowledge of people and things right knowing and having and being connected to more people uh, and more things which varies of course among socioeconomic status and classes and many other things but in general as you age you're going to have more of that intelligence and and also i don't know if it's a chicken or an egg phenomena but and also then more connections yeah um yeah and and one other fascinating take that's also uh, was also uh kind of consoling and i don't know if you you can uh relate dre on the on the cusp of 30 uh the so uh and it was just a, a fascinating finding that i came across as well uh is that the nobel prizes uh so p- to people who don't know the nobel prizes are awarded in a few different categories it, physics chemistry medicine literature and peace were the original prizes that were set up and then after that they added the Nobel Prize in economics and it's meant to recognize groundbreaking work in a certain discipline and they vary so the mean age or the average age varies across disciplines and physics uh, is actually the lowest at 37.2 according to Benjamin Jones and Bruce Weinberg in in a paper they published in 2011 like the physicists have the the lowest mean age when they were comparing physics chemistry and medicine Uh, whereas chemistry and and medicine their mean age is around 40 Uh, so you guys haven't something there's still time Um, (laughs) so we haven't we haven't hit the peak productivity time yet but uh, it, it's just kind of a, a, a one thing that I came across that was quite fascinating in my eyes. 
with regards to aging was the differences in creativity and knowledge. Yeah, I appreciate that that stat or fact or whatever. Um, even before when you were talking about fluid intelligence, um, I was just like, oh, I didn't recall it peaking that young, but I was like, oh, that makes sense. While so why so many great thinkers, their greatest works are a lot of times when they're like in their late teens to early twenties, and that's Newton's Principia, whatever it was. Um, Einstein's work on gravity and I think many famous musicians also musicians some too. of their musicians. best works were yeah. in their younger years that makes a lot of sense and there's kind of like this interesting dance between your fluid intelligence decreasing but your crystallized intelligence increasing where you don't have the ability really to like you said work with these new abstract ideas but you have more a better concept of how everything else works right <laughs> factual stagnant things work yeah and you have more experience in whatever your field is so you can kind of there's this dance until you get into maybe your 60s or something where for Thanks. most people it starts deteriorating yeah absolutely i also think too that while you're developing your um while you're developing your crystal intelligence you can create better foundations to be able to do more of the manipulation in your mind over time. So investing more when you're young, for all of you who are thinking about maybe doing more education or, or you're wanting to learn something new, there's never a better time than now, right? Because later it might be harder. And physiologically, there are two things that happen as we age. Uh, one is called pruning which is where areas of neural connection that are less used over time will just kind of start to fade away and be less prominent in the brain. And on the opposite side of that, there are tracks that will develop in your brain that will become more strengthened over time. And so I think those are two physiological arguments for and maybe evidence for both of these crystallized versus fluid intelligence that we're talking about some. But needless to say, wherever you are on this journey of aging, it's a beautiful, beautiful process, right? And I love that Dre called it a dance, right, between these fluid learnings and these more crystallized learnings. And I don't think that there's a better or a worse is something that I want to highlight. I think often young people are like, oh, yeah, we're whatever. But <laughs> but really, there's beauty in both both areas and both aspects of aging. Yeah, I think um, one thing I had come across, too, and, I, and I'm not familiar with the exact age ranges, uh, that's a little bit related to this, this dance, right, of the aging process, um, is, like, when, when you're young, you, you do have all this potential, which is exciting and beautiful in some regards, but you also have all this potential and you have no idea where it'll go. And that provokes a lot of anxiety in, in young people. Uh, so I think that you're the most satisfied like age range is, uh, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but it's, it's older than your twenties. Um, so, uh, yeah, the most satisfied years, uh, on average, obviously there's, uh, outliers in either direction tends to be uh older than your your teens or your 20s because you have all this potential and you're like oh man what what am i going to do with it all um if anything so that's 
another positive about aging is becoming more comfortable with yourself and, and your journey as well. Yeah, we were just talking about that, Aiden, you and I, on the other the other day, we were walking and talking about why it is that we feel more confident in our skin today versus a year ago versus three years ago, and probably just life experience, but I think you said it well, the more well-practiced you are in being you, the, the better you feel about it. Makes sense. Any takes on that, Dre? How, how much have you learned about yourself in the last... I don't know. Yeah, your life. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, more after the age of 25, essentially, when we predict our brain stops developing. Mm-hmm. But I think a large part of that is simply that I'm more stagnant. Um, I'm not maturing anymore. I'm dying. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not, in so many essences, I've died. Hey, we, we've been dying since day one, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. But there aren't a lot of these swings anymore. I'm kind of, I kind of am who I am, um, only becoming a slightly better version of myself, hopefully every day. But it is nice to have. So that's where what you guys were kind of talking about. Um, I'm kind of like, yeah, there is. It is part of it is that you are. There's so many. I don't know. So, there's so many social factors too. Like there's so much of like, yes, you're becoming more of who you are. You understand like a crystal intelligence of who you are. Uh, more a uh, more intelligence of um like more social currency more intelligence of um emotional intelligence all that type of stuff but then a large part of it in my mind is that you're not changing as much so of course you're going to become more stable of course you're going to be more secure in who you are because you are more of who you are 16 to 18 you're, you're a lot of people are completely different people yeah uh, and so that i don't know so that's been it has been fascinating that has been nice it has been nice to be more stable in my late 20s However, I, I don't, like, do you guys have any, like, are you guys looking forward to an age? I'm not looking forward to any age past, I'll, I'm all, like, I would rather just go back. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> is there any age where, oh, I can't wait to be this age? I'm honestly, I'm excited for it all. And I think that's a pretty privileged position to have. And it's very likely that if you ask me in five years, I'll feel different because I'm 23 right now. And so maybe because I haven't got to a place where I'm just oh so stable and happy uh, I don't feel like going backwards would be good and I definitely want to continue moving forward I just I'm so excited for all the things that I know will come in my late 20s and 30s I'm so excited for a family I'm so excited for more stable income I'm so excited to like grow myself and build myself in a career I'm excited for the systemic impacts that could come from that I'm excited for the social capital that will come from that I'm excited for gray hair because people respect you more when you walk into the room with gray hair I'm excited for my body to change the way that it changes because I think old people are beautiful but I also am coming to this conversation with 3,000 plus hours of patient care. I'm also coming to this conversation with a desire to go into medicine for the rest of my life. I'm also coming to this conversation with just an immense amount of time that's been spent in the space of death and dying and death with dignity and death without dignity. So I, I'm guessing I'm an outlier. I also, I also come to the table having been involved in being involved in an organization that is primarily retired people 
um, as a Rotarian, as a Rotary member. And that's probably different depending on where you are in the world. And maybe the mean age in our club isn't retirement, might be like 50, but substantially older than me. So I don't pretend to be a normal example, but I'm excited for it all. Yeah, I think I'll answer Dre's question, but I think it'd be uh, cool to hear a bit more about your experiences working or volunteering with Rotary because, I mean, many people in today's day and age, uh, uh, at least in the, again, in the U.S., uh, because that's where we're all based, is, is that we tend to spend a heck of a lot of time around people who are our age, but we spend no hardly any time with people of different age groups. So, yeah, I'd be curious to talk, dive a bit more into that. But answering Jay's question, uh, something that I think, again, I'm so I'm speaking as a 26-year-old now, and I think that, and I, I also might feel differently a couple of years from now when, when say, 30 is around the corner. Uh, I think that I am... 30 is around the corner for you. I'm just throwing that out there anyways. Oh, it, it's, it's, it, I mean, it's always around the corner. Um, <laughs> life, life goes, life goes by in the blink of an eye, uh, in my, in my, uh, conception. And, and I just think that, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited for every moment. Um, and there's not, there's not an age that I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm excited for, yeah, I'm like, what is like, Oh, 41. I'll have made it. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm excited for the for the journey and I'm excited to can like create as much as I can and have it as many meaningful relationships as I can and I'm excited for all the things and all the different ways that they might manifest at at the different ages. Uh I think I mean the one thing that does scare me is like the the post the 65 mark um in which I mean maybe talking a bit more about Lauren your experience or I mean, also, obviously, Dre, your experience, but yeah, like when, when it seems like our society is, is, is done with us, um, and, and just says, uh, okay, uh, here's the retirement home or, or whatever else, uh, I think those kinds of issues deserve more, uh, conversation in our society because personally I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> like, I, I don't want that noise. I want to find a way to, to continue to, relevant to continue to be relevant and just live a meaningful life but yeah um yeah lauren how how has it been working with the the gray-haired folk in rotary what are some learnings uh well i have to say overall it's been phenomenal i have been blessed with the opportunity to work with people who believe fundamentally that you have something to learn from everyone and in that I am with a group of people who have immensely more life experience than me in the fact that they literally have more years than I do in life that have been spent and they approach the table every day with me in a mindset grounded in service for the world and for our communities and they also believe and agree that they have something to learn from me and 
that I can also learn from them. And in that, my experience has been immensely positive and I have had I have had opportunity to join forces with these people with immense social capital and have seen doors opened for good and for service and for the world. And probably because of that, I'm sure that has informed my idea of what aging can look like. I know that there are, and I've seen and been a part of many, many grim, grim aspects of aging and what it can look like. But for those who can find purpose and who can find meaning in things like rotary and service and whatever it is, I just am ultimately excited. And let me just say too that rotary as an organization it's an international organization it's huge has many many areas that it needs to improve and especially improve in the area of ageism because outside of my rotary family here in rochester minnesota i have encountered ageist outright mean individuals and i would speak really highly of rotary as a whole but like any massive organization there are going to be people who look down on younger people, and I've seen that for sure in Rotary also. So it wouldn't be, I don't think it would be fair to say that it's all great and peachy because I've also had many challenges, but it's been good overall. How about you, Dre? What's your, what's your experience like interacting with yeah, people, with people, older, people than older than yourself and, and <laughs> people who have suffered senescence <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah i mean just what uh yeah i don't have a whole lot um when i was younger i would hang out with people older than me but like five to ten years mm-hmm. um and i would you know kind of study and learn things from them pick things up so i could kind of be ahead of the curve and know what to expect but at this point in my life I don't really hang out with older people or have conversations with many of them. I have one friend who is, I think, perhaps in his late 60s, and we meet up every week, and we write together, and we have conversations. Um, and that's, wow. that is that is insightful. And uh, it's it's fascinating to see some of the things that are seem to be, at least in our 100-year window that we get on Earth, if you're blessed, it seems to be pretty much universal and almost unable to come to grips with this just something we're going to work through our entire lives questions perhaps like who are we um dealing with certain insecurities dealing with obviously your family members dealing with the prospect of your own death and losing things that you love and it's interesting to see how i'm coming into i'm approaching 30 and i'm feeling like i'm old and i'm aging and suffering from senescence meanwhile he's over two years older than me has experienced way more life and he's he seems to be way more at peace with aging than i am but sorry how old did you say it was again like late 60s i believe late 60s okay and however he still has a lot of that like some kind of like what i would consider like an adolescent angst or like a youthful angst about certain things he said years ago or certain relationships that kind of fell through and those are things that i imagine that i would have worked through and like come to grips with and I'm sure a lot of people do, but it just shows me a lot of our conversations just show me like, oh, like there's so much that we do have in common. And then obviously, like you said, Lauren, there's so much that's like you really only gain from the perspective of being on this earth for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years and seeing how things change and seeing how things don't change. 
So I'm, I definitely am very blessed to have been friends with him for the last six, seven, eight years or whatever. And meeting up with him every single week is extraordinarily insightful. Um, however, it does not at all ease my fear of death or aging. <laughs> yeah. So I want to touch on that a little bit more and maybe we can get into some of those insecurities and I'll start with me. Some of the reasons that I am quite secure in aging outside of the social realm, which is a big, big space. So outside of my belief that after I'm 65, I'll still be able to make an impact because I work with and volunteer with people who do that every day who are even in their 80s, who are even in like assisted living homes, um, who are just straight badasses. Let me just put that out there despite being so so old there there was a week I just have to say quickly there was a week that I had to call one of my mentors I I I was afraid she might have kicked off the planet I was like Aiden I gotta I've gotta just call one of my mentors and make sure she's still kicking I haven't heard from her in a week I mean people who are in in like yeah the naive mind of a 23 year old they're they're up there but I'm not worried about that because I see them doing great things being fulfilled until they're so so old now let me touch on the physiological and some of the challenges and, and scary stuff of aging. Uh, since the age of 18, I've had a living, um, like, will and have a, a um, appointed person of attorney, like a decision maker, in the event that something crazy happens. And I have very clearly stipulated my preferences in the instance of an emergency. This is something that many people avoid talking about. It's something that is scary to bring up with families, and it's something that I took upon myself a while ago because I had the opportunity to experience death in another culture and then also working in a nursing home, and I have seen the impact that a death can have on families because of a lack of understanding for what a patient might want or what you might want, what an individual might want, and I decided when I was 18 that should, God forbid, should anything ever happen to me, no one will question what I would have wanted or would want. And so I feel really at peace that if tomorrow a bus hit me and some, I end up in the ICU and some crazy, I mean, stipulations happen, I know who's going to make the decisions, I know what decisions will be made, they're all outlined, I know that my organs will be donated I know that I will go on to do good I mean that right I don't want anything bad to happen to me and I'm not saying that anything will but because I have that already put into place I'm just not worried about it I know that I've prepared myself and my life so that the loved ones around me are taken care of when I'm gone should something crazy happen so that's one piece The other piece as a woman is that I've had the opportunity to be engaged in research about what happens to the body as a woman when you age, and one of those big life events is menopause, and then hormonal changes, bone density changes, and I'm informed enough in a field that's not been well studied for women about where I need to go to get resources and how I might prepare my body physiologically for those changes when they come. So... Those are two pieces, I think, that have created my peace uh, with where I'm at and how I feel about aging. And of course, those might change. But I think those two things are things that people don't often talk about. So I'm curious 
if you guys have anything like that set up or what your reactions are. Yeah, nothing. I mean, I have life insurance, but that's it. Um, other than that, I think for me, like I, I have a gripping fear of aging and death. So I don't want any parts of writing no wills. <laughs> I want anything that would make it seem like it's right around the corner or like even a possibility really. Um, so I don't have anything like that, but I don't yeah. know, perhaps it would ease. I don't think it would though. Cause I don't, my fear of death is not like, Oh, I'm going to be a burden on my family or they won't. That's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to be out of existence. Like that's, I don't, I don't care much for that idea. <laughs> and the will's that not going to help that. sounds selfish. I mean, yeah, human being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think my reason for it is more out of a, like a, yeah, I mean, it's also a selfish reason <laughs> um, in, in that it's, it's kind of uh, uh, like, procrastination where i'm just like yeah if i if i don't have to do it today i can i can i mean focus on today and and it's definitely something that i think i should do and i would like like i i would like to do in the in the abstract but i just haven't gotten around to to accomplishing yet but yeah i do agree that it's important to to have some of those conversations and to have some of those uh those thoughts yeah, that's but, a little stoic, right? Preparing for the worst. Even, like, you know, right? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just like you have all these things set up, even though you're obviously in great health and right. possibly nothing's going to go wrong, but you have all these things set in place. And, I mean, that's part of Marcus Aurelius' philosophy is meditating upon the worst possible thing and then finding some sort of comfort with that or acceptance of it. And then it obviously, 99.99% of the time, it doesn't come into fruition. Right. But, and... For me, for me also, outside of, I mean, outside of, like, something crazy happening now, I am going to die, right? Mm-hmm. That is a Maybe. fact of being human, like, pending <laughs> some major scientific breakthrough that is, is yet unknown, uh, and I want, I want my family to know and I want the people around me to know what death with dignity looks like for me and I outside of being gone from existence and I think that's an important point we can touch on that in a moment but I want my last years of life whether they're now or when I'm 85 to be life to be what living is and means to me and it's something that Atul Gwandi touched on really well throughout his book. I think every human who's a human, so every person ever should read his book because it really outlines what that looks like in braving those difficult conversations. Because outside of myself, and part of the reason I decided to do what I did is because approaching a conversation like that with a parent or or a grandparent is a lot easier when you can say, like, you know, hey, hey mom, I am not wishing you out of existence, but I actually did this for myself too because I don't I don't want to ever question what you would want as my mom and I don't ever want you to have to question what I would want as your child. God forbid something ever happened to me. And so approaching a conversation like that was much more easy to ensure also that when and if these difficult conversations take place and they will take place, right? my mom, my dad, my family, we're all headed on a route of aging. We will be prepared. I hope we will be prepared. And 
obviously there's no amount of preparation that can just make you at peace with anyone who's going to die. It's always going to be sad, but being ready, I think, and not questioning yourself for me has just given me a ton of peace. So do you want to touch on, on going out of existence or not? Yeah, I can touch on it now. Okay, so going out of existence. <laughs> um, going out of existence, that's funny to me. Uh, two reasons that doesn't bother me. One, I believe in an afterlife. And I believe that I will be in that afterlife. Two, I believe that my ideas and the things that I produce in this world will always live on. And therefore, even if I were not in a proverbial afterlife, depending on how you might think of it, I will still be living on, which is afterlife anyways, through my ideas and the things that I've built in this world and the people that I've influenced. Or your and, genetic code if you have children. Right. And or my genetic code that if I have children. Uh, but because of that, I, I'm just, I'm not worried because I think for, for better or for worse, Lauren will live on in some ways, right? Even this podcast is an example. If I die tomorrow, we've got 30-some conversations, again, for better or for worse, of common science out there for the world yeah. to continue on. And that if, if, the, web, if the web hosting ends, which it probably will at some point, <laughs> uh, like uh, some nugget somewhere might have been planted in somebody's head. That, right. Yeah, and and that, that could have grown into something else. But Well, and we already know it did, right? Like, there have been people who have reached out to us about their sex life. There have been people who have reached out to us about vaccines. Uh, we have common science has had an impact even on one life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's enough to know that some part of us will go on. And that's enough for me. Dre, do you continue to, to exist post-mortem? Uh, in many ways that Lauren talked about, I believe, yeah, those are true. Mm-hmm. Some of them I think are kind of like indisputable. Um, heaven, afterlife, stuff like that. I'm not certain about, uh, going back to string theory though, that's an interesting concept, like energy, not being able to be created or destroyed these vibrating strings that we're all made of and connected to. And I think there's some kind of throughout history we've had some philosophies and religions um i'm not familiar enough with buddhism and stuff like that but i feel like it's some of those type of philosophies where there's like this ultra connectedness and there's this energy and this um i don't know i don't like i said i don't know all the names of them but like this energy that's pervading through all of us and this and that and i it's really cool actually to see science kind of maybe in a slightly different way but kind of purport a lot of these other things though as well like right like we all we're all just the string vibrating at a different frequency. And then it's just like this kind of God's dream where we manifest ourselves in these different ways and the, or the universe manifests us in different ways. So in that sense, yeah, of course, like I have energies. I have probably electrical signals in my thoughts that will travel the universe until heat death or something like that. But which is cool. But I don't know, but I'm just so attached to the eye. I need like probably a, a good deal of ego death. Because I still, like, one of my, throughout my, almost my, like, as long as I can remember, like, as a young kid, young team, I've always been very frustrated with, like, posthumous praise, posthumous awards, great authors who became rich and, or, like, who became famous after they died, but they died poor. 
and um that is kind of an idea that kind of strikes me the same way as like if i'm not here to experience it and enjoy the fruits of whatever i've created whatever i've left here it's like it doesn't really like bring me much pleasure to think that i'm changing someone else's life maybe maybe you're doing another dimension (laughs) (laughs) and i think too like as i work through these ideas as i mature age etc I'm sure that there, if I don't fall into like, oh, like I actually do believe in a heaven or this or that, I think there are some theories or some ideas with energies and strings and um, kind of in so much what you're talking about with like works that you do and leave on this earth that will lend me some solace in my older years and that I do live on and that I was like my time was worthwhile. Um, yeah. yeah. I would, I would think then a person who feels the sentiment that you feel would want kids. No, I'm, I'm wholly disillusioned by the idea that, um, we, I, I'm highly cynical of the idea that we propagate and spread our genetic code in order to grant, like to get us some semblance of immortality. I've always thought that was, um, coincidentally a very selfish reason to reproduce coincidentally. but also um i just thought it was um kind of ill thought out and kind of like gross i've always thought that was weird i've never cared for reproduction in that way but you think other people should have children no i don't think some that. people you mm-hmm. think so you think we should kill the species uh it's not killing them it's letting them die pass out away the, <laughs> die out the species or yeah um i wouldn't say i think that I, d- I just don't that wasn't the question the question yeah. was do i think that we should reproduce and that answer is no i don't it's not that i think we should not reproduce i just don't think that we should reproduce does that make sense yeah do you think some of us should reproduce no, no. like in order to continue the species no i don't think that's like a virtue or like a moral hmm. compulsion or anything like that. I think it's just simply evolution is life is designed to want to reproduce. Oh, so you're saying that it's not a moral, like it's not a moral argument. Like it, it's just a fact of life that we it's reproduce. just that we like to. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that we should. I just think we do. Okay. But, and in other words, if the human species, if we were the last generation to reproduce, or our generation, like what I guess we've already reproduced. So like, yeah, we were last generation to reproduce, and nobody after born after today ever, like no human being ever came into existence. I do not think that's bad. That is my stance. Hmm. So, so he's really scared to go out of existence himself. But if the whole human race is gone, it's fine. Correct, because I'm human and I have my own experience. <laughs> but that doesn't. A lot of my ideals and morals. Um, similar to Einstein's theories breaking down that gravity break down when it comes to my center. But that is, that's, I see that also. I don't see that as like a, like me being a moral person that way. I see that me as being a coward and being a weak person who cannot live up to the ideals that they purport. And I don't think that's, I think that's just human. I think it's life wants to survive. But I don't, I don't, I don't, like I value that survival because I'm human, but I don't like put it a mental, like that's not like a good thing to me. That I feel that way, that I feel that I would fight for my survival in that manner. Though ideal, ideally, I believe yes, it is not a bad thing for humans to go out of existence. Do I think it's bad to suffer? Should I kill all humans? I do think that's bad. <laughs> I do think it's. Yeah. I think suffering's bad. But just like oh, like let's not reproduce anymore. 
reproduction is not like a moral virtue to me. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I think there are some, clearly some personal, like, cognitive dissonances in how you might feel at a, at an eye level versus at a society level, but I, I, I agree with your argument in some ways. I mean, I don't think it's a moral imperative to produce, and I don't think people who reproduce versus people who don't are any more than or less than. In fact, I think there's probably too much production going on and selfishly i i still want kids right but yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah no i i hear you i hear you yeah what do you guys think about this fact 10 percent of all healthcare spending in the u.s goes toward end of life care in 2018 americans spent 3.65 trillion dollars on health care 365 billion of it went for end of life care hmm. what are your guys' thoughts on that Mm, it, it just it's in a lot of ways to me just more of of the the message that I I received long ago that is the the U.S. healthcare system is way too expensive uh, across the board for many reasons that could be I mean I don't know a hundred podcasts but like yeah the my thought on that and what i think you might be trying or you might i don't know i'm curious what you might be trying to maybe evoke from throwing that fact out or if you're just um throwing it out but i think that like the i th i think that the dying with dignity thing that you uh brought up on reading the book being mortal by atul gawande uh could like having more of that message and people making more personal choices around like based on that uh could alleviate a lot of those costs because i mean man when i'm working in a memory or when i go in to put on an educational program in quotes at a memory care unit like yeah how do you like should I mean it's these are really tough questions uh, but yeah as common scientists we ask questions and we try to talk about them and, and come to uh, at least a personal understanding that may or may not be the closest to the truth but like some of those people when they're drilling on themselves and they're hunched over like what what life is that is my uh perspective on it it is is like or i mean yeah in a less personal story just like the in the cancer setting where where somebody might go through rounds and rounds of radiation and leave their loved one bankrupt at the end of the day like what 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 choices are that like or sh should an individual even make those choices i mean who is making those choices because it's like is it i mean it, yeah there's just so much to unpack there um <laughs> but yeah i mean it just it may it gets my my mind worrying and, and trying to trying to puzzle some of those things out um but yeah dre what did it evoke in you <laughs> Yeah, there was there was definitely a lot going on in there, Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I respect the questions and half questions and 
quarter yeah. questions that you raised. <laughs> you like stop halfway through a question, like so many questions. I'm like, I didn't, what was the question? I didn't hear the question. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, you're 100% right. Um, and those are interesting quandaries, specifically like the one about how much of a burden do you lay upon your family to try to eke out um, another year, another six months, and at what quality is that six months? Like, it's obviously not the quality of a four-year-old, you would imagine, right? The average four-year-old, et cetera. So, yeah, those right. are fascinating. Going back to the fact or stat, et cetera, um, I guess the first thing is simply, like, prevention over treatment. And the second thing is I think we live in a perverted society which kind of rings you out and does all of these things, like, hyper-stress, hyper, like, kind of... Um, like workaholics, um, doing all these things that will lead to aging, senescence, um, mental deterioration. And then at the end of the day, after you've given your life to this society, um, everything that you've ever, you know, whatever, everything you've ever done, all your deeds, then they look at you and they say, good luck. Like, here's a million dollars for this, $100,000 for this, $10,000 for this. Hope your family has stored up enough money to eke out some semblance of a meaningful existence for the last 10 13 years of your life um so that's what comes to mind yeah yeah i think i think healthcare spending in the united states at end of life care highlights a lot of different issues that aiden touched on in some of his questions and now jay you also touched on i i think most broadly though lack of conversation on a more personal level and a familial level is contributing to the problem a ton. I I think there's a lot that could be done also systemically, but I think we live in a healthcare system where you as a consumer are at the end of the day responsible for making decisions. And I think asking these questions and thinking about them earlier will just hopefully contribute to a preparedness and thus allow you to understand or or I I'll speak to myself allow myself to understand that if given the opportunity or if given the option I would not call it an opportunity if given the option between aggressive cancer treatment toward the end of my life or enjoying two peaceful months. I think we live in a society where if you choose the two months of peace, often you're thought to be giving up. And many, even kids, wonder, will pressure. People will pressure. I wonder, but. so this is, again, I'm, uh, I think Noam Chomsky's The Manufacturing of Consent. Uh, I wonder how much of our familial decisions to say that those peaceful that peaceful two months is selfish is driven by propaganda or like marketing campaigns again i don't know if we'll ever know but like yeah if we if we think and talk about it i think you're you're right that that could alleviate some of those issues because yeah i mean i think most people would choose a peaceful two months than three months of or whatever it is of of misery yeah i think also a lot of it outside of marketing is is continued in medical education and um atul gwandi also highlights some of that 
And in this specific example, he talks about letting go and talking about being toward the end of life, where he was treating a patient who had a terminal disease, and he just talks about that discussing a fantasy was easier, less emotional, less explosive, less prone to misunderstanding than discussing what was happening before his eyes. And I think that that too plays into it. I don't, I wouldn't say that it's so much the marketing or doctors wanting to, like, wanting to make money. I think they want to have answers and they want their patients to feel at ease. And it's a lot easier to say, well, you've got a 2% chance of survival than, like, well, you've got a 98% chance that this is going to be really hard for the next several months. And it's going to mean xyz most probably because people want to hang on to that two percent everyone wants to believe they're special when that's just not how it works yeah that's another bias right there is like yeah the statistical bias that statistics don't apply to oneself (laughs) it's (laughs) (laughs) nope they do uh yeah that's that's super super challenging and and yeah i think another another thought i have on the topic is that and it's an analogy i'll I'll, so the another thought on the topic is that uh like life expectancy is quite upheld as this uh metric in healthcare where it's like oh man this state has a large uh high life expectancy you're likely to live longer is that I mean, a question I would have then is, is, should that be the goal if the last two years might be, uh, yeah, in a, in a negative situation? And I think that, that the analogy I would point to, to as well is within our economy, we hold up the gold standard of the GDP and like the growth of this number of production, right? It's like there there is no single number that can do justice to any problem or question. And so I I think maybe trying to come up with, I I know there are some other metrics that have uh, been talked about, like quality of qualities, which are like quality adjusted life years. Um, But yeah, anyways, just more thoughts on the, the like idea of like, what is, what is the goal? But I think we had talked about it, Aiden, and you said personally you would rather live less years if they are better years. Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends, I guess the, everything's a trade-off, right? And it's hard to ever know what it would be. But yeah, personally, I do not want to be like plugged into a, like a feeding tube and like, oh yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, that's an extreme though. You can even it's go definitely into an like extreme. <clears throat> when you see, like, you might see um, an older person who they're still taking a bus or walking around and getting their own groceries, right. but also they're like a foot shorter because their back is so bent, right, or something like that. And even when I see cases like that, I don't know anybody like that, so I haven't had a conversation. I'm I'm sure they still think life is worth living, right? Right. <laughs> but for me, I'm just like, man, I I don't know. Like there's so like I I probably fear death more than I fear aging, but aging specifically too is just really terrifying for me. Just because like I want to be able to shoot a basketball, 
like I want to be like so much of my life and joy has revolved around the community that I formed throughout a simple game like basketball and yes we can all move into golf and we can all move and I can always play video games where like for a long time I can play video games and this and that and I can do book clubs and blah, but you're blah. better at video games when you're younger because you got better fluent intelligence that's true <laughs> so I know we're close to time so I want to bring it a little lighter for a moment and just talk about some of the things that you can do to depending on your view of aging combat aging or move toward death with dignity like how can you whether you're 50 right now or 70 right now or wherever you're at right now there are some things that are scientifically proven to help with the process um and i'll touch on a couple then you guys can add if you have any and i am speaking from a lot of patient care experience. I'm obviously not an expert. I'm also speaking from being pretty well read in the in the space. But one of the some of the greatest things that you can do are treat your body well now. That means get outside, work on your mobility, stretch. Uh, if you want to be able to shoot a basketball when you're 90, obviously there's a bunch of genetic conditions and and work and background that go into this. But uh, if you right now don't have good posture work on it if you right now can't bend over and touch your toes work on it i would suggest strongly yoga with adrian or (laughs) some other some other something right (laughs) to to work on right aging in a way that feels good to you if if you know shooting a basketball is going to be important in your 90 you damn well better be sure that you can stand up straight you better be sure that you're doing whatever you can right now to sit up straight when you're working at your desk or whatever it is and being aware of some of those things is important. Another one is taking care of your teeth. Uh, now, more than ever, there are technologies you can replace. You can have fake teeth. All of that costs a lot of money. The best thing you can do right now is brush and floss two or three times a day. Uh, over a long period of time, that has a huge output. One of the best indicators of when a person is going to die in an elderly facility is when their teeth go to shit or when their feet go to shit. So the other thing mm-hmm. is like if you can't touch your toes right now, it's important because as you age, keeping your feet clean, keeping your balance up to par is is important. These, these small things that can just compound over time. So there's a lot that you can do to ensure that you don't, to that you can avoid what you're hoping to avoid. Obviously, it doesn't work out perfectly because the world doesn't exist outside of all of these other pressures. But there's there's so much you can do to ensure that you can have death with dignity you can have aging with dignity i think those are synonymous but yeah and i think set set the goal of becoming the the wise man or the wise woman like i mean like we said crystallized intelligence continues to go up and you continue to grow in your social capital as well and and one thing that gray-haired folk are 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 good at is that they have the life experience to advise and and mentor younger people and pass it forward so uh yeah i think that that's an admirable aim in my eyes totally agree Uh, i believe that we are on the cusp of like we said in the beginning of this episode so many sciencey fictiony breakthroughs unfortunately our generation might just miss a lot of these but I, de- I firmly believe that our 80 will look different. Now, obviously, every person is different, but take care of yourself and you need to actually take some of these new medicines and procedures that will be coming out in the next 50 years before I'm 80. 
like RAE will be different. And there's a lot of promise in guys, like there's a, a geneticist named David Sinclair from Harvard, who he's dedicated the last 25 years or so to researching aging and specifically slowing down and reversing aging. And they've had a lot of success with rats, taking certain proteins, injecting other sort of enzymes and doing this and doing that and showing like, or actually understanding not just, I mean, I don't really know, I don't have the context of that book, but not just saying, oh, this is just kind of something that happens. It's like, no, these are processes just like anything else that human, the human mind can conceive and manipulate. And I'm looking forward to much more of his research and the certain things that he does. And he kind of sees it as like an information loss. Like there's the cells that when you're young, they just do exactly what they're supposed to do. But over time, with age, there's mutations, with putting different toxins in your body, which includes food and alcohol. Um, all of a sudden there's all these little variations and then the information is lost and the cell loses its identity and it just slowly starts to break down, kind of like it was saying in that book. But if we can figure out, which he's dedicating his life to it, how to reverse some of those things, how to make those cells young again, then we can be young again. And I don't think he's saying, nor am I saying that like, you can be 60 and then turn back into like a 20 year old, but the mortal jellyfish does it. So maybe we could, there are animals or there's at least one animal that does do that. So maybe one day, but we can be, we can be 50 and that could be like a 35 year old now. We could be 60, but still be like jumping up and dunking a basketball, et cetera, et cetera. I do fully believe those things are coming and there are animals who have been at the top of their food chain and who have lived relatively like healthy lives that do live to be hundreds of years old, like whales that live hundreds of years. So even for mammals to think that 70 to 80 years, 100 years is our peak as human beings, I think it's completely foolhardy. Within the next couple hundred years, I do believe we will be living to hundreds of years old. And within the next million years, if we survive, we might be able to break that thousand. Damn, yeah, I, I'm not opposed to that idea. I think it's exciting in a lot of ways, and I think we should be waiting with uh, dignity and waiting with practice and waiting with a real care for our bodies. Uh, because right now, right now it's not real, right? It's in the makings, and I, man, it would be cool if it came within our lifetimes, but until then, I, I want to take care of myself as best as I can and my loved ones around me should something crazy happen. Yeah, I just wanted to add uh, that I thought, Dre, to your your perspective on it, like, yeah, if it's, if it's our generation, that's awesome, but if it's not, if it's next generation, yeah, like, Lauren, you're, you're so right, we gotta keep care of our bodies do maybe do yoga with adrian or, or whoever <laughs> whoever else uh but <laughs> um yeah i just want to say too that the the jump in life expectancy is not like such a leap in life expectancy is not so unheard of like once we figured out how to fight infectious disease uh with vaccines and antibiotics etc that led to a huge jump in life expectancy so or average life expectancy at least so so we'll just have to see yeah life as we know is changing common scientists aging looks something today and maybe years from now when someone comes back to this podcast if it's still around (laughs) this could inform being on the brink of some amazing things and i think the best we can do is keep asking questions keep getting out there and and figuring out in a common science context what aging means to us, what death with dignity might mean to us, and 
of course, staying on track with the trending common science news, we'll be the first to let you know when your life expectancy might change to a thousand or maybe like the 10th to let you know because you won't discover it. But (laughs) needless to say, that's it this week on aging. Uh, You can visit our website, commonscientist.com, commonscientists.com. I got to emphasize that S. Uh, support us on Patreon. You can follow us on our social medias and subscribe to our email newsletter. But at the end of the day, y'all, we're just asking questions. 